Can I lose my salvation? Where was God during the Holocaust? What is my purpose? I was at the mall with my family and we were walking down the middle. And we were noticing those kiosks. Have you seen these before? Because there isn't enough stuff for sale at the mall. So there have to be these kiosks on wheels where they can sell more stuff. And we're noticing this one kiosk in particular because it has every sort of gadget and toy and contraption you can imagine in every color under the sun. And we noticed that they're selling this, this sports ball toy apparatus thing, and the salesperson says, would, would you like to try it? And I was like, sure. So he straps this thing to my wrist. It's connected to like this elastic cord. It's connected to a ball. And the purpose, they tell me, is you're supposed to take it and throw it, and then it goes out, and it comes back, and you catch it. And so, of course, I take it, and I just chuck it, and it comes back, and it hits me in the face. And I turn, I turn to my son, and I'm like, hey, do you want to try it? And he's like, no. It's like he sees dad making a fool of himself. And the salesperson is like chattering away about how people use this as a stress reliever. My wife and I are like laughing, and we just walk away. Yeah, whatever. But my son, he stands there, and he says, I want one. And we're like, no, 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 we're, we're leaving. We're going. And he's like, but, but I want one. Like, no, it's got like this cord, it's got this strap thing, it'd get all like tangled. No, no, we, we gotta go. He's like, no, but, but I want one. Now, uh, a couple weeks before this, we had been at this school near our house. On the playground, somebody had left some kickballs, probably from recess or something. And so we had been uh, throwing and kicking around these kickballs with my boys. And my wife and I had commented on how we ought to go get the boys a kickball. I mean, everybody needs a kickball, right? And so earlier that day, earlier that day, we had decided, you know, after we leave the mall, let's go across the street to the sporting goods store and let's get the boys a kickball. But right now my son is standing there at the kiosk saying, I want one, I want one. And by now my wife and I have probably walked 50 feet down the mall from the kiosk. And my son is standing there and he looks up at what to him is this massive wall of toys. And he says, but I need it. And so me, in a moment of sheer parental brilliance, decide that I'm going to reason with a two-and-a-half-year-old from 50 feet away. So I start laying out my case. Like, you don't understand. It's going to get wrapped around your wrist. It's not going to work. It's going to break. It's going to fly. It's going to hit you. It's not going to be. And he just looks at me with this look. Maybe you've seen this before. He looks at me with this look like, like but I thought you said you loved me. <laughs> I'm like, don't do this to me. 
And I'm sure the salesperson is thinking like, tightwad, dad, like loosen up. It's like seven bucks and your kid's having a breakdown here. So I have to walk all the way back and under great protest, I have to pick him up and carry him out to the car. So we enter the sporting goods store. And my radar is up and I locate the sports ball section. And there are basketballs and footballs and soccer balls. And eventually we come to the kickball aisle. And the kickballs are stacked there, red and blue and yellow and green. And there's the smell of fresh rubber in the air. You know what I'm talking about. It's that smell of a good new kickball before it's broken in. And so we take our son up to the wall of kickballs, and he stands there and he looks up. And with great joy, I say to him, take your pick. And his eyes get big and he points and he says, the orange one. And so with great joy, I take the orange one down off the shelf and I hand it to him. Here you are, my son, with whom I am well pleased. And then I say, shall we take a march of triumph? a victory lap, if you will. And so the Bell family, with my son holding the kickball in front of him, patting it, saying, the orange one, the orange one, we take a march of triumph through the sporting goods store, out of our way, for my son has an orange kickball. Hey, uh, we are uh, having a conversation today. You asked, and so we're uh, trying to do that together. And basically the question went something like this. It was a question about prayer. How is it possible for moments when maybe 10 or 12 people who are all Christ followers agree and pray about the same thing and say, God, would you do this? And then God is silent. God doesn't respond. How, how is prayer working in that moment? My guess is that part of what spurred this and made this one of the most popular questions that we asked each other, so we've got a series of probably what's going on right now in our community with the whole Kate thing. And literally, if you think, we've had thousands of people in this church all praying for the same thing. God, would you heal Kate? And right now, uh, the answer that we're getting back is really not much of an answer at all, and probably one that would, by all accounts, everyone would say, I... I don't think I like the answer. I'm not sure we got an answer. But you get that this goes beyond just what we do corporately. This goes beyond even what happens in the church. This happens in our own life too, right? There are moments in which you and I pray about things that, that we would say, I mean, God, it, it just seems obvious. It just seems, I, I've been without work for three months. I'm one interview. I'm one interview from landing a great job. And then it doesn't happen. And we prayed. I mean, we prayed. Aunt Matilda's sick, and, and we just say, God, look, Aunt Matilda's been such a great part of our family, and she's so vital, and I, and, I, and I want my kids to experience Aunt Matilda, so God, please, please, please give Aunt Matilda more years. And 
a young lady dating a young man, and she goes, look, this is the guy, God, I'm telling you, this is the guy, just, just let him ask. And she prays. And not only does he not ask, they break up. You and I go look at the house, and we go, I mean, that's the name. I would love for my kids to grow up in this neighborhood. The community is so great. The schools are so great. And we pray. And we're turned down for the loan. Which leaves you and I in a moment when all of a sudden we go, so what's the deal with prayer? I mean, did I ask for something that was too big? I mean, I mean, was the loan bigger than God could accomplish? Was cancer more than God could? I mean, what just happened there? Some of us get so frustrated, so discouraged, we go, maybe God's not even real. Maybe, maybe this is just that much more evidence that this whole thing about following Christ and following God's been a little bit of a delusion, and I, I've been praying to an empty sky, and the reason my prayers didn't get answered is because there's no one there to answer my prayers. Some of us get frustrated, and we think to ourselves, well, may, maybe it's because in the grand scheme of godness, my prayers were too small. I mean, God's worried about big stuff like global warming, and I'm praying about Aunt Matilda, and so maybe it just, maybe it just wasn't important enough to God to deal with my prayer request. And the reality is, is that for many of us, this whole issue of prayer has been something that's been deeply frustrating, something that has absolutely challenged our faith in God. There are some of us in the room who've given up on praying because we would just, here, here would be our experience. It doesn't work. And here's what you need to hear me say. If, if you're there, if you're one of those people who, any of what we, it's because you and I don't get prayer. You guys, we don't understand what prayer is about and how this thing works. And when you and I do, if you and I can have this, it will revolutionize your conversations with God if you and I can get a new perspective on what's happening when you and I pray, okay? And so here, here's the answer. It's the kickball principle. It's the kickball principle. It's exactly what you and I kind of walked through and witnessed in the process of that video. It's the kickball principle. And here's the deal, guys. If you can grab this part of it, if you can get the kickball principle, it will change everything about your prayer life. Because, because, because. Every one of us, every one of us has had the experience that Rob Bell just described. We, we've all had moments that we were standing in front of the kiosk of life and we said, I want it. I mean, look, that's, that's, that's what I got to have. That's the right answer. I want it. And God, if you love me, you'll do it. And then God didn't. And we were left to wonder, does God love and did God care? And what if the answer in that moment was simply this. What if God was saying, I did give you an answer. I, I, I didn't miss your prayer. I gave you an answer. The answer was no. You simply didn't like the answer. 
you, you're frustrated because you had the plan, you had the thought. And, and my answer was no. Which leaves you and I in the moment going, well, then, I mean, is it no because I didn't fill it out in triplicate? Is it, is it no because the email got lost? God, why is it, why is it no? How can it be no? What if the answer is this? What if God's answer to you and me in those moments in which our prayers don't get answered when we want the way we want is simply this? I love you too much to say yes to that. Let me say it again. What if God is saying in that moment, I love you too much to say yes to what you just asked me for? I mean, something about the story we just saw, Rob Bell and his son, here's this two-and-a-half-year-old standing in front of the kiosk saying, I want the throwy, ball, elastic, stretchy thing. How long would that have been a good toy for a two-and-a-half-year-old? I mean, like a minute, right? Like a minute. And that kid would going, oh, I hate the toy, and it's done. And the dog would have been chewing on it. I mean, a minute. And yet in that moment, in the moment, as, as that little boy is standing in front of the kiosk, here's his conversation, but I want it. If you love me. And what a... What a, what a powerful illustration is, as Rob says, here's what my little boy didn't get. I'd been watching him. I'd seen him a couple weeks before, and I saw him with a kickball. And here's what I knew about the kickball. He was going to have a blast with the kickball. And, and the reality was we'd already planned on the kickball. The kickball was, ready, just across the street and just a few minutes away. And so in the, in, the, in the moment, in the moment when my little boy is saying, I want that, I'm having to say, no. You ready? Because ready, ready? I got a kickball coming. And what, what is just an incredible image as you, as you watch a dad picking up his little boy, carrying out the mall, who's going, but dad. And what if? What if you and I have done the same thing in prayer? What if you and I have stood at the kiosk of life and said, I want that. God, if you'll just give me that boyfriend. God, if you will just heal that person. God, if, if, if you would just give me that job. And in that moment, what if God was saying, I love you too much to give you the throwy, stretchy thing. We, we are just a few blocks away and a couple moments of life from kickballs. And you get to do a victory lap. Some of you guys have heard my story, and so you'll be familiar when I was nine, my parents got divorced. My Christian family just blew to shreds. And I, and I did what you do when you're nine years old. 
and your Christian family is blowing to shreds and your parents are getting a divorce. I prayed. I prayed. I mean, to a nine this 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 was pretty simple. I just simply said, God, bring my dad back home. I mean, I mean, it's pretty obvious you wouldn't want a Christian home to break up. It's, it's pretty obvious, God, that divorce isn't your fruit. Just bring dad back home. Don't let him leave. And God didn't answer my prayer. And at nine years old, here's what I decided about prayer. It doesn't work. And I don't need a God who can't answer prayers. And I, I literally spent the next few years of my life just saying, look, I, God, <laughs> I, you're a joke. You're apparently not very powerful. And I will spend, I will spend my life proving to you I don't need a God like you because of a nine-year-old prayer. Here's what I didn't get. That in that very moment of my life, God was saying, Lynn, I love you too much to answer that prayer. Because here's the deal. If you met my dad today, my dad is a remarkable follower of Christ. I mean, his life has just transformed. Matter of fact, he's a leader within his church. He's involved in all sorts of Bible studies. But that's not where my dad was going when I was nine. Matter of fact, he would spend about the next 12 years in chaos. I mean, the next 12 years of my dad's life were dark. I, you come up with a list of sins. You come up with the most horrible decisions you could make. And I'm going to tell you, there's not very many things on that list my dad didn't do in the next 12 years. And if God had kept my dad at home with a little boy who was just worshiped him, who was absolutely focused on his father. You know what I think I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt? I don't think I'd be a pastor today. I I think my life would have gone in a completely different trajectory, and the pain and the misery and the chaos that would have ensued, I'd still be paying for it if my dad had stayed home. And it's interesting, at the time, I had no idea that what God was saying to a little nine-year-old boy is, I love you too much to answer that prayer. And yet now I sit here later in my life, and can I just tell you, I take victory laps. I, I punch the air and I go, God, thank you, thank you, thank you for not answering a nine-year-old's prayer. Because you had a kickball couple blocks away, and just a few moments of life down the street. And when you and I get this, when, when, if you and I can land this concept, that when you and I pray, God gives an answer, but sometimes it's just simply, look, I know better, I know what's coming, I know what's next, and I love you too much to give you the throwy, stretchy it's the kickball principle. Matter of fact, I think Jesus just absolutely unpacks this, that when Jesus takes a moment and begins to teach his disciples about prayer, I think these very principles are at the very heart of the conversation. So grab your Bibles and go with me really, really quick to Matthew chapter 6. 
Matthew chapter 6, and if you're not real familiar, if you uh, go to the back of your Bible and then work to the left, you're going to find this book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. This is what we call a lot of times the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5. Here's what it says. This is Jesus talking about this very topic of prayer. It says, and when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. So you've got to get the culture, get the moment. This is at a point in time where praying would have made you a cool dude. See, it was, it was cool to be religious. It was cool to be in contact with God. And so these guys would go out publicly and they'd, they'd pray these horribly long prayers. You know, the ones that you go to sleep at? in church, those prayers. And God say, look, it's totally uncool. Don't do that so people think you're cool. Nowadays, it's just the opposite, right? You pray in McDonald's and you're like a goon. But back here, this was a cool thing. It says, don't do that. Don't do that so men see you pray. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not Keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Okay? Don't, don't, don't just keep going over and over and over. Dear God, dear God, dear God, dear God, dear God, please, 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 God, please, please, oh, please. You ever had your kid do that? Oh, Dad, oh, please, 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 oh, would you do that? What do you want to do when your kid just keep, keep, I already said no like 14 times, oh, please, oh, please. What do you want to and all I'm saying here is God feels the same way. Stop it. He heard you the first time. Once was enough. Twice maybe. Do, you, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. This then, ready? Here's, here we go. This then is how you should pray. Now, guys, got to get this. This is interesting because Jesus is getting ready to do the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Isn't it interesting that somehow you and I have taken the Lord's Prayer and we've made it into a repetitive mantra prayer? That you and I get to all sorts of meetings. Let's do the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven. And, and that was exactly what Jesus just said. Don't do that. Don't keep praying the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. It's not what this is about. And Jesus doesn't say this is what to pray. Jesus said this is, you ready? how to pray. He's setting a model, not a chant. This then is how you should pray, he says. Our Father, our Father. He says, when you get to prayer, when you start praying, he says, look, 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 you got, you got to get what's going on. Our Father. And Jesus says, look, the dynamic of prayer is this. The dynamic of prayer is children coming to their father to have a conversation and to ask. And that's the dynamic, which, guys, you just got to get, that's different than any other religion. That's different than any other belief system because Jesus says, no, 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 when you come, it's like a child sitting down with their dad to have a conversation. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done. And Jesus says, look, here's what you got to get. 
You're not God. This is His kingdom come. His will be done. This this isn't about you telling God how to run the universe. This is you letting God be God. Okay, so let's just unpack those two things together. He says, look, when you start this, when you come, he says, look, God is going to treat you in the midst of prayer like a father treats a child. This is a father-child relationship. So let me ask you this. Do your kids have any influence on your decisions? Do your kids have any influence on your decisions? Some of you are going, no, never. Fifteen years, I've never listened to my kids once. You get that McDonald's is based in millions and millions of dollars on the idea that your kids have influence on your decisions. How, how else do you explain you and I pulling into a restaurant that serves tasteless hamburgers? Because our kids said, hey, I got to play on the playground. I, I, need, I need the newest mech Justin Bieber doll thing. And so you and I sit there going, honey, does yours have any taste? No, my... Because kids have influence. If you watch commercials on TV right now, they don't go around to the parents and go, hey, if you want to be a really cool parent, get this for your kid. They, they just go right to your kid. Hey, you're seven years old. You need a cell phone. Ah! <laughs> and their seven-year-old goes, hey, I'm teaching my mom to text. Because isn't the answer at the end of the day? Our kids have a lot of influence in our decision-making. Our kids, our kids have a whole lot to say. We end up doing things we never thought we would do because our kids ask. Some of you guys know a little bit of my story that just recently Lisa and I adopted a little gal from Kenya named Sylvia, and she came over here, and uh, then just recently uh, she got married, she had a baby, and uh, she and James went back to Kenya. They're finishing up at university. But you got to get, I'm navigating all of this for our adopted daughter right about Christmas time. So here, here's what I'm doing. I'm going, okay, uh, I've got to pay for a wedding. I've got to figure out plane flights for Sylvia back. I've got to figure out plane flights for James back. And I went to Lisa and I said, look, here's the deal, okay. Uh, Christmas this year, Christmas this year, Big gifts are going to be socks. Okay. Wedding, plant, socks. Okay. And uh, so in the midst of this, as we're getting ready and we're planning uh, Christmas, Sylvia, uh, Sylvia says, you know, it, it would be really nice because I'm, I'm going back to Kenya and I, I want to be able to talk to mom on Skype. And if I just had a laptop... Anybody want to guess my answer? No! No! Socks! We're driving down the road, and Sylvia would be in the back of the car, kind of. We go, Sylvia, what's wrong? I'm just sad. I'm going to be in Kenya. I won't be able to talk to my mom. No! No! Socks! I, I, don't even, I don't even know the moment, but I find myself, I'm, I'm looking through advertisements. Hey, there's a $100 rebate on this laptop. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm going through, I'm going, if we go to Walmart at 3 in the morning and camp out for hours, 
Anybody want to guess what Sylvia carried on the plane with her? Cuz, cuz, cuz. Our kids have a ton of influence, don't they? And that's exactly, here's what Jesus is saying. Look, guys, when you come to this moment with your heavenly Father, you've got a ton of influence in prayer. You, you just need to know you've got, you, what you say hits so big. And even answers that maybe even started out as no sometimes become yes because of prayer, because of a child talking to their father. Now, which I think brings the other shoe down in the conversation. It says, I, I think, guys, you and I have got to be really, really careful about this influence, that you and I have got to be really, really careful that we don't talk God into giving us second best, that we don't talk God into the throwy, elastic, stretchy thing and miss the kickball. You ever had that conversation with your kid? Please, 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 please. And you're going, no, no. Please, 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 please. No. Please, please, please. Okay, if you'll shut up. <laughs> and what if, what if sometimes in prayer you and I do that to God? See, it's, it, it's, it's the 16-year-old who's getting ready to drive, and, and, and if you leave it up to mom and dad, they would say, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to buy a car we can pay cash for, you know, something that's not real special, but it's dependable, and something that gets really, really good gas mileage, and then that way we can just get liability insurance and keep the bills down. Then you can still have a life. You can still hang with your friends, and you can still do sports and all that, and, and, and all of a sudden, the kids come back going, ah, convertible, eight-cylinder, you're going, no, 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 that's, that's crazy. That's, that's just, that's just that's a horrible plan. Because here's the deal. You do that, you're going to have payments. You're going to have payments. You're going to be working 30 hours a week to pay the payments on the car, pay now the full coverage insurance. Eight, so nothing's going to gas. You'll, here's the deal. You will never see the light of day again because you'll be so busy working for the car that you don't have any time to drive. And your kid just keeps pushing, just keeps pushing. Keep pushing. And parents here, we, we, we know what we do. There comes a point where we go, okay, all right, let's do it. You apparently need to learn a lesson. You, I, you need to feel what it's like to go in and work every weekend hour you've got, spend the rest of your time on your homework, pay all sorts of, okay, okay. Apparently, that's the next lesson for you. I wonder how many times we've done that in prayer. I wonder how many times we sat down with God and said, God, I want it. If you love me. I've done that with mortgages. I've done that with jobs. Some of us in this room have done that with boyfriends. And I just think as you and I pray, one of the things that Jesus is trying to teach you, guys, you've got to be careful because you're coming as a child to a father. And there's a chance if you push hard enough, do it long enough, you could talk your way right out of the kickball and into the throwaway, elastic, stretchy thing. Because you've got a lot of influence when a child of God prays to their heavenly father. Second principle. Jesus said, look, look, when you pray, you've got to pray this way. You've got to say, hey, God, God, look, 
your kingdom come, your will be done, because I'm not God. I'm not God. God's God. And God doesn't need me telling him how to run the universe. You get that he's kind of got that one under control. But, you, you know, isn't this the interesting? Stop and think about this. How much of our prayers are spent telling God what he should do for us? I mean, we don't say this out loud, but, I mean, stop and think. Don't we spend an awful lot of our prayers simply saying, God, look, here's the deal. If I was God, this is what I'd do. And if you've got a brain in your head, God, you'll do it too. Isn't that why we get mad at him when he doesn't listen? Isn't that why we get frustrated when he doesn't answer our prayers the way we want him to answer our prayers, when we want him to answer our prayers? Because we go, God, look, look, look. I told you what to do. You apparently didn't get the memo. Either that or you're just a rebellious employee. Because think about it. Because here's what we've done, guys. We've reduced God to a little blue genie and a lamp who's supposed to give us the three requests. Guys, here, here's how you know if you've got this out of balance. Here's how you know if you're just... If you've had unanswered prayer and you're mad, if, if you've told God what he needs to do and he didn't do it, and all of a sudden you're wondering if he's even real anymore. See, if you've, if you've said, okay, God... Point A, point B, point C, and then on November 13th, he proposes, and we have 2.5 children, and it doesn't happen, and now you're going, God, God blew it. You get what we're doing now? You, you, we're basically saying, God, look here, I'm smarter than you. See, I've got, I've got plan A, and you're apparently on plan C. Or... <laughs> We're saying, God, you know, I'm the boss of you, and you are being a really lousy employee right now, God. You're not, you're not following through with anything I've told you to do. How many parents in the room? Okay. How many said, I saw the mistakes of others, I'm not going there? Okay, all right, good. Good for you. Here's the deal. Every parent in the room, you've had this conversation. I guarantee you. You ready? It's the you're not the boss of me conversation. Usually with three-year-olds. And when they get out of the hospital, you know, you finish the conversation. Not. You, you, get, you, get, you get, guys, that's an important conversation to win. Right? That somewhere that child's going to figure out, no, 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 no. My parents are the boss of me. As long as I'm in the home, as long as my parents are the boss of me. Lisa and I uh, grew, did a lot of youth ministry in the early years, and so we watched, a, we watched a lot of kids live through the you're not the boss of me thing. So my wife started with Joshua while he was really young. So from the time he was like three or four, she would say to him, Josh, 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 there's a day, there's a day, and I don't know when it is, Josh, but you're going to wake up in the morning, and you're going to decide that mom and dad are idiots. And I just want you to remember when that moment comes that I told you it was coming and you're wrong. And we are still the boss of you. And Josh would go, I'll never do that, Mom. And so just on a regular basis, because my wife was incredibly smart, she would just say to Josh, Josh, I just want to tell you, you're doing so good right now and you're so wonderful, but there's going to come a day. Your friends are going to say something and you're going to decide that your 11-year-old friends are smarter than Mom and Dad. 
And I just want you to remember in that moment that I told you that that day was coming. And in that moment, I'm going to say no because I told you so. And in that moment, you're going to decide that, that your mom and dad have just completely lost their minds. So sure enough, 13 years old, Josh had gone to a school dance, got out about 10-something, and all these junior hires were going to go out and hang out at about 12 o'clock at night. And Josh comes and says, Mom, I want to go hang out with all my friends. Where are you going? I don't know. What are you doing? I don't know. But I want to go. And my wife said, Josh, no. You're so dumb. Everybody else is doing it. And my wife just looked at him and said, I'm the boss of you. told you it was going to happen. Think about this. Just, just imagine with me, okay? Just daydream with me for a minute. What if in that 13-year-old moment, Josh had simply said to his mom, you know what, mom? I don't like your answer, and I, I really do want to go out with my friends, but I trust you as a mom that you're making the best decision for me possible. <laughs> and so, okay. Would that be amazing? Would you be like, I've got the best kid in the world. I'm the best parent in the world. You get that's what God was hoping you'd say. That in that moment of prayer when you said, hey, can I go hang with my friend? In that moment of prayer when you said, God, here's the answer. Here's what we need to do. Here's Everybody else is doing it. And he said, no. No, I, I love you too much to say yes to that request. And I, I, know, I know right now it makes sense to you. I know right now you think it's the only answer. That No, I love you too much to say yes to that. That here's what he was hoping you what I would say. God, I don't get it. I don't like your answer. But you're the boss of me. And I trust you that you're saying no to the throwy, stretchy thing because you've got a kickball coming. See, guys, let's get this. The very thing that you and I would dream that our children would say to us, God dreams that you and I would say to him. I don't like it, I don't get it, but I believe. I believe your no is because something better is on its way. And I'm going to choose to trust you in the no. Hey, guys, I'm just, I'm just going to tell you, if you and I get this, if you and I can grab the kickball principle, and pray, it changes prayer. It changes the whole conversation. Because here's, here, here's how you and I will begin to pray when you and I get this. Dear God, dear God, look, I'm your child. You told me I could come. You told me I could ask. And so I'm asking, would you heal Kate? Would you give me the job? I'm just asking. Because you told me I could. But... But if there's something I don't understand, if, if, there's, if, there's, 
if there's a kickball that I just can't even see from here, here's my choice. Kickball. Not my plan. If, if, if this is going to mess up your best, if this is going to, then void the request. Because I always want the kickball. Not my will. Your will be done. Which is why every time we pray, on the front end we say, God, please, please, please. And then you have to add the but. If you know better, if you're doing better, let's do your plan, not my plan. Because I want kickballs in my life. Let's bow our heads. Hey, guys, it's a big deal. I guarantee you there are people in this room right now today who your prayer life stinks because you would say, I, I've tried that, and, and prayer doesn't work. I, I asked God for like a dozen things. He didn't answer any of it. There are some of you in this room today who your faith and your relationship with God is filled with anger because you, you, you just said, God, look, it's so easy. It's so obvious what you need to do next, and He didn't do it. And the truth is you're fighting with who's the boss of who. God, I told you what to do. What if? Okay, I'm just going to ask, what if? What if God loved you too much to say yes to what you asked? What, what if he knew in his heart there's a kickball just a couple blocks over just a few more moments in your life. And you and I are mad. Then we don't understand prayer. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we simply come before you this morning. And we're going to be honest. We're just going to say it out loud. We've, we've gotten pretty darn angry at you and pretty frustrated with this thing of prayer. Because somewhere deep in our heart, we thought prayer was about getting you to behave the right way. And what we missed was is that prayer is about getting us to behave the right way. That it was about letting you take us to the kickball store. And so God, I, we just want to confess out loud, please forgive us. Forgive us for our anger and forgive us for our doubt. Forgive us for our frustration with you. And we will pray. We will be children who go to their father and say, God, would you? And could you? And what about? But we will always finish that prayer with. But if you've got a better plan, if you've got a kickball waiting for me, I want the kickball. I want your plan before my plan. God, teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.